it's happened. We have reached the end of Lockie's adventure, his journey, his quest. How many other words can I use that I'm not really supposed to use on the show? To find love on The Bachelor, and it's brilliant. I think it's safe to say uh, that it was one of the most dramatic endings of a Bachelor Australia season so far. There was pretty much everything. There was love, there was heartbreak, there was storm outs, there was breakups, there was a global pandemic, which is a format point we've yet uh, have, we haven't yet figured out a way to move into the show until now, which I was pretty impressed with. Um, but we got there in the end. Alicia Aitken Radburn, are, are you recovered emotionally from watching last night? Look, I was very happy to put my head down on my pillow last night because I was just like, my mind was just worrying. I'm really excited to see Lockie and Irina in the media today, see the happy couple. Um, But I've really enjoyed this season. And I think, Osha, that is very much thanks to covering it so intensely with you every week. (laughs) Well, if you... uh, uh if you have managed to avoid spoilers to this point, thanks, Alicia. Oh, you just revealed the winners. Uh. But if you haven't seen the final two episodes, go to 10play.com.au right now and watch them. And we'll be back in a second. Well, look, before we get to the big final moment, the uh, the incredibly intense emotional moment uh, that happened at the very end of our, our finale with Lockie there, Alicia, let's take it back an episode to uh, the meeting the parents um, where Lockie four times in a row met the family of uh, the partners, the hometown dates. Um, bit different this season with with COVID and, sorry, COVID. Look, it's me oh, and Dr. Norman Swan. Oh, you have so much grief. All right? Okay, well, listen, the, 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 the other dad of the nation, Dr. Norman Swan, who's on the Coronacast every day, says COVID. So if the man who I actually trust about this pandemic says COVID, I'll say COVID. But if you really want, I'll say COVID. All right? All right? There you go. There you go. Izzy's date. Uh, now, I've done a lot of yoga in my time, uh, Alicia, but I've never seen the partner, your right knee over my left shoulder, kind of downward facing dog, up dog, down dog, up dog, down dog. I've never seen that before, but I guess we saw it on this episode. Yeah, it was a different type of yoga. I think that like Izzy was really taking her final moments here, just taking full advantage, like nodding, smiling. Oh, yeah, this is a yoga pose, definitely, for sure. Yeah, kissing. Another one. It's great. Uh, I thought it was a really nice. What I love about hometowns is not only the meeting the parents, which I think is such a great insight into you really learn a little bit more about these women and particularly Izzy's. Like I was blown away when we discovered that, I mean, (laughs) she didn't use the word commune, but totally a commune. Like I find that so interesting to delve into the girls' personalities a little bit more because, you know, as – as it, you, it's The Bachelor, sometimes we do get a wash with cocktail parties and rose ceremonies. To, so to learn more about these girls that we've been following for the last six weeks, it's it's really great. And I just loved her mum. I loved Obsessed. her mum. What do you think about, like, it sounded like she Izzy grew up on a feminist yoga commune 
It was awesome. I loved seeing those two human beings just grill old Lockie on feminism. Oh, I'm actually surprised that we haven't had a chat like this thus far on a a series of The Bachelor to, to get into it because I think that it was such a great thing to be raised. Firstly, I love that clearly while um, Izzy's mum doesn't necessarily agree or, you know, was surprised by Izzy's decision, I love that fundamentally she respects Izzy's choice so, you know, she's a consistent feminist woman. Um, and I did like that in his confessionals, he acknowledged that, you know, he's the bachelor currently. He's he's a part of a cultural phenomenon that almost has its own set of rules and a framework and regulations. And, you know, as an audience, we participate in that as well. In the whole scheme of things, I guess for me, and I could spend a whole podcast deconstructing The Bachelor and feminism, but uh, The Bachelor is an entertainment program and when it comes to smashing the patriarchy, The Bachelor is pretty low on my list. Are you to say that the women who willingly uh, sign up for The Bachelor, such as yourself, are not doing so with agency and not doing so with their eyes clearly wide open? I think that's one of the good, the the fantastic parts about The Bachelor and The Bachelorette is that people have agency and they've chosen to partake in that this experience. And I think that that sort of underlines everything that we talk about through this commentary. Like we're going to get to the end of an episode where we're talking about a guy who says, I love you to two women. We will get to that. We will get to all of that uh, as we as we move towards this. But let's not, because I mean, we Izzy does leave during the rose ceremony. So let's not let this episode go past without paying a good tribute to possibly the greatest thing that a parent of any participant <laughs> has ever asked our hero bachelor or bachelorette. Uh, in the hometown dates, if it doesn't work out, can we have a cup of sperm as a consolation prize? Spoken like a true, powerful woman with agency from a feminist commune. Don't need you. Wouldn't mind the 23 chromosomes, though. Seems to be a lot of working going on here. We could probably work with those chromosomes. We could shape it into something fabulous. We'll put it together like we've done our wicking beds and our solar farm up the back there and the chook pen. Brilliant. We'll put it all I together and it. all the girls can... It was she the was best a legend. She, she was the standout of potentially oh. the series for me. Between, it was between her mum and Beck's mum. And, God, this franchise gives us some incredible mums. Like yeah. I'm thinking about Kiki's mum from Bachelor in Paradise. Like <sighs> yeah. we are just absolutely... We're so lucky that we've got mums on The Bachelor and that's the best thing. Mums are interesting. Everyone can relate to it. Everyone's mum has said something like, oh, really? Like (laughs) you're going to say that in front of the guy that I've just brought home? But that's the beauty of it. It was, it was such a good moment. It was such a great moment. We did meet a few other parents. Uh, I did actually have to uh, apparently go and mispronounce the name of a disease in front of uh, Irina and Locke. That's the first time I've ever shown up to a single date, by the way, in eight seasons of the show. I've never, ever, ever shown up to a single date. And um, it was this was the first of, speaking of the patriarchy, this was the first of a few in a row uh, of guys who... Uh, 
I don't know. Uh, probably the, it probably wasn't everything that was you know said, but the way it was edited was very much like um, guys who felt it was their place to say uh, what this woman whom they are related to can and cannot do. Um, and it was a for me. It was a. It was a. I know it works. I know it. Like this is the the trope of the mm-hmm. you know the Robert De Niro and Meet the Parents. This is the uh, which we actually had a bloke say he's a human lie detector. Um, this is the trope of the you know the bachelor meeting the traditionally you know just coming home and there's dad polishing a shotgun um, you know on the coffee table when you you bring your boyfriend home. But that's kind of bit nineteen fifties. Oh, totally. I, I really think just- we've moved beyond that. To be honest, Alicia. Yeah, it's really old school. I I guess I am waiting for. I understand why the guy, the the fathers come into this environment, and I think it's probably um, some sort of expectation within them as well. They think that they have to rise to this role in yeah. this meet the parents setting where they're polishing the shotgun. And in a in a future season, I really hope that we do get a dad um, or a father figure that is kind of like going back to autonomy. Like this is something that your daughter has chosen and your daughter is probably sits between the ages of 25 to 32 and they're a fully grown adult. And yeah. it's just, As we, we mentioned just on the show before, bit, pays taxes. <laughs> we're a bit, we're a bit past the like possessive yeah. Mas- yeah. masculinity yeah. thing. I mean, there's um, a line there. I'm sure there's a line there where you'd want your brother or your, you know, cousin or the, whoever it is, the, the the other family member in your life who happens to have different genitalia to you, to have some sort of, you know, we all want the people we love to be protected and oh, to for be sure. safe and not experience emotional pain. I'm sure there's a line there of, you know, well, and they may have very well said this, it just didn't make the cut. You know, they're very much like, look, this is what she wants to do. She's always done what she said she wants to do. I just really hope that you don't hurt her. Um, but they may have cut the first part out. <laughs> just yeah. says, Listen, mate, yeah. cut. I just really hope you don't hurt her. You know, they might have cut the first part out. We don't know. You know, we don't know. I think the parent that uh, struck the best balance was uh, uh, Beck's mum. She was my favourite. Yeah. She was like her her mum and dad are just like 100% Sunshine Coast. Oh. Like, what I love, I love the way that her dad and brother walked in and it was, it, it, it looked like, I don't know how much time you spent up the sunny coast uh, leash, but uh, it looked like her, her you know, I, I, immediately I saw them and of course then I'm seeing them through the lens of the, the, the overprotective, you know, family uh, and I'm like, yeah, these blokes have taken someone out the back of Bly Bly to have a quiet chat at some point in their life <laughs> and, and, the, and the problems never come up again. Like it's that kind of, you know, in the my long family, My family's down the road in Caboolture so I'm very oh, right, well aware right. about the yeah. <laughs> taking someone for a chat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we're just going to go check out the fences at the back of the... <laughs> And you know, and you suddenly you two hundred k's from somewhere on the halfway to Gimpy. Um, it was brilliant. It was uh, it was it was pretty great. Um, uh, though her mum may, may have not been able to observe the situation uh, uh, independently. Oh, and Beck's mum was. I think Beck's mum was what I was nervous about Donna being when she met Glenn. I was I was nervous that my mum would become like so captivated by this whole situation. And you know, Glenn's a really good looking guy, as Lockie is. And but I loved it. I loved that Beck's mum was just 
Also, to be honest, this was probably the moment through Beck's hometowns that I connected with Beck the most. I think for a while I was I was trying to work Beck out. She seemed like quite withdrawn's not the right word, but she's not she's not an easy. She's not like giggling every five seconds. But seeing her with her family, you could tell through the screen how important her family were to her. And I really actually, this is, I think we're sort of striking the balance with the protective brother in that I thought that her brother, I thought it was a very fair way to advocate for his sister to be like, look, you said that you could watch my sister on mute and still be captivated by her that sort of doesn't sit well with me. I think that strikes the right balance of something tangible that someone said and be like, hey, just just deconstruct that for me. Are you literally saying that you don't really care what my sister has to offer intellectually or, you know, just conversationally? Yeah. Yeah, I I thought back to during all of these hometown dates, I thought back to Lockie's adventure at the whitewater uh, rafting date, and I just kind of was grateful that he got a you know a good day to warm up his back paddling skills because there was a <laughs> lot of that. There was a yeah, lot of that going was. on, man. He was like, "What? No, not at all. That's not what I said. Oh, absolutely, hundred percent. Oh, that's right, Steve. You bet. No worries. Never do that. Uh, like and the I whole." I think that that has been one of the the good things about watching Lockie is that he tends to not, um, like as a viewer, it's quite enjoyable because he just goes with what he's feeling and that means that you just get what his emotions are. But, uh, yeah, in a meeting the family setting, <laughs> not uh, not ideal when you just say the first thing that comes to your head. Also not ideal to be pashing someone's daughter when they walk through the door. I mean, I you know, I love a cheeky pash as, ne- as much as the next person who's, you know, in the flirtatious first few moments of, of, of a relationship. But when, you know, the girl's dad, the first time you're meeting her dad, is you're making out with her on your couch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, tough. Ah, what did you think of Bella's hometown? What did you think of her dad? Like very sort of Godfather vibes. <laughs> well, I guess yeah, it's obviously what they're going for, right? Yeah, and it's definitely the the De Niro meet the parents moment. The you know, but he had a he had a couple of pretty good points. He's like, you can't just cook me one meal and I'm here, mate. Yeah, you know, I don't know you. I've known you for an hour. You know, I can't give you my blessing. You know, you, I walk in and you're pashing my daughter. I probably, you know, he's and and fair fair play. You know, when I met Audrey's dad, I didn't have to shake his hand and say, "Oh, by the way, I'm dating three other women at the same time." Yes. Uh, you know, I didn't have to do that. Um, it was, you know, it was a very different situation, and I don't think anybody who is in that position um, would, you know, and I think, you know, I think about my own family. It's like. It'd be hard. It'd be really hard, and I get it. You know, I, I really get it. He, he did. I don't know. Do you think he'd done much cooking before, Lockie? 
through the whole series, Lockie has just shown himself to. I remember when Izzy was having her single date and it was the Zoom single date and they were cooking tacos together and there were all these memes flying around because she had this like beautiful setup on her Zoom, like guacamole, some nice serving platters, and he's got like one taco shell and the pan on the desk. <laughs> This is yeah. just like you know you're walking. If if I had like been in a club and gone home with Lockie in his early twenties, you just know he doesn't have a bed frame. There's no fitted sheet on that bed. <laughs> <laughs> it's a futon. You 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 coming home to a futon? Coming home to a futon. <laughs> Yeah, but you're kind of, you know, as I say in the poker world there, you're pot committed by that point. Yeah, it's exactly. It's too like, far gone. It's 3 a.m. You're like, oh, well. You can still <laughs> leave. Well. Now, bear in mind, no, oh. bear in mind, you can always, you're never under any pressure, but at some point you're kind of like, oh, look, I'm here. Oh, don't get me wrong. I'm walking out at 5.30 <laughs> down to the local Maccas to get a hash brown and an orange juice. <laughs> and then I'm going to sit on my couch and regret my actions for the next till about 2 p.m. And we'll do it all not, again. Not, not answering a phone. <laughs> not answering a phone <sighs> for hours and hours and hours. Uh, what was interesting was like it wasn't only the cooking that Locke uh, struggled with. Beck also tried to like couldn't. Like struggle with yoga, struggle with stand up paddleboard. Like, if for an as someone who's so adventurous and does so much, you know, you know, things that involve his body in a war with gravity, um, like you'd imagine a balance would be a thing. Um, oh, cooking- I thought so too, and uh, but I actually found it really refreshing because I've always noticed through the Bachelor series, and this is a this is a bit of an insider goss, but when you come on one of these shows very standard stuff. You fill out an activity form, which essentially rates your, it's a full list of very random stuff, everything from dancing to like camel riding. And it's, it's on a scale, uh, not at all too advanced, something like that. And you have to fill out your competency basically. And so mine was all like, not at all, not at all. And it's things like wakeboarding, blah, blah, blah. And I found on The Bachelor, usually you have a bachelorette contestant rock up to their single day and it's like, oh, we're going wakeboarding. And he just happens to be a professional wakeboarder. And I, I kind of liked seeing that The Bachelor is, isn't this like polished, hey, here we go, I, I've, I've taken you hang gliding and I'm a professional hang glider. I guess what it allowed us to do was throughout these hometown dates, it, it put the shoe on the other foot. It gave the women the upper hand. It gave like here's something he's not great at. He can't be a master at it. He has. He can't be. I guess you know dominant in this situation. He has to be a little vulnerable and admit I'm not very good. I'm going to fall off this paddleboard sixteen times, or you know I'm not going to do very good at yoga, or I'm, I'm going to struggle to cut a vegetable. Um, you know, we're, look, we're a long way from an avocado in a blender. We're a long oh way God. from an avocado in a blender. So I think we're fine. But I, I actually really liked it. I thought it was actually really quite good to yeah. that he was brave enough. To go, yeah, I suck at this, but I'll give it a shot. And that, that was actually pretty good. Um, very tough to say goodbye to Beck and Izzy. Um, very, very tough. What does it mean when Batchy walks someone to the car, Leish? 
Well, I think usually it's that there's an understanding there that there has been something significant. That's what I see it signposted at uh, as as soon as I see the bachelor walk someone out, it's that he he or she really recognizes that there has been something important that needs to be acknowledged there. So I think we've seen it in previous seasons um, really beautifully. And this was something that didn't come through the cut. Um, We didn't, we missed this detail, but it came out later publicly. There was um, Daniel. He was on Ali, Ali Ochen season of the bachelorette and he had this single date that was, he had one-on-one time that was quite awkward, but then she walked him out to the car and later it would come out once he'd been eliminated and these things appear in the media. Um, He had actually lost his mum really early on, like just before he had come into the mansion and everyone was aware of it. And I think it was this acknowledgement that, hey, you really like, this has been a very emotional process and I really appreciate you as a person. And I think that that's what Lockie was saying in this moment as well. Izzy has, Izzy, this has been a really big experience for all of these girls and not discounting Beck's experience, but Beck has probably comparatively in time, Beck's only, her journey has been probably about a month, I'm going to guess. Whereas, Izzy's been there for like four months now involved yeah. in this process and not just getting to know The Bachelor but all the everything that comes with the global pandemic and shifting and just even coming on to one of these shows is a very vulnerable, um, nerve-wracking experience. You're, you're really pausing your whole life. And so I think it was really important that Lockie took the time to acknowledge, hey, Izzy, this hasn't worked out for us. Um, but just even this experience has been monumental. It was it was interesting that he did walk one and and not not the other, but it was it was full on actually to drop on them that there would be no overnight dates that were going straight to finale um, uh, this uh, this season because of COVID is uh, <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> To uh, you can me and Dr. Norman Swan, okay, me and Dr. Mm. Norman Swan, but I will alter my pronunciation if it helps their understanding of of the country. Uh, we we shorten the shorten the season by a couple of episodes, so we missed those kind of overnight dates. Um, and it was a oh my god, I was going straight to finale uh, moment for for the ladies, and that meant that we went boom out to the um, out to the Hunter Valley. And uh, we'll get to the uh, we'll get to the moments, those final two big dates, uh, right after this break. Hey there! Sorry to interrupt your podcast, but once you're finished up here, why don't you head over to Hammer at Home? You'll hear from me, Barry Dubois. I'll be talking to all sorts of interesting people from all different walks of life about their homes, families, all sorts of stuff. Start by giving my chat with Dr. Chris Brown a listen. I reckon it's a lot of laughs. Take it easy. Catch you soon. This is Cocktails and Roses. I'm Osha Ginsberg. That's Alicia Aitken-Radburn. We are deconstructing the final two episodes of season eight of The Bachelor. Lockie uh, is... We're up to the part where the, the, the final episode where Lockie says he is essentially in love, not once but twice. It is a, it is a, is a tough moment. And he, he meets his mum, uh, who's lovely, 
and it took me way too long to figure out that it was an, an undercut. I thought it was a part of her costume, of her wardrobe. I thought oh. she was wearing something. Yeah, no, I it got an- the undercut and I thought it was so cool. Like, I was sitting there watching it being like, I want to know about his mum. Like, there's, yeah. she seemed like such an interesting character. Um, so it was also, again, in the same way as when we meet the girls' families, I think have have we oh we we have seen like for instance Matt Agnew brought along his um friends but i yes. think seeing parents again has been yeah. really refreshing yeah it's great to great to have her there and i think for the first time in bachelor history we have a reverse honey badger situation where Lockie is admitting to his mum, this woman that he sees as somewhat of an oracle, and it's very clear, and I thought it was very sweet, seeing how much he relies on his mum's counsel, how much he relies on her advice. Still, as a 31-year-old man, you know, he's like, oh, listen, I don't know. And I thought that was really nice that they had that kind of bond and that he trusts her opinion so much. But he's got the reverse honey badger situation where he's like, mum, I'm, you know, I'm in love with both of them. And she, bless her, goes, you know, she kind of suggests a bit of a... a bit of- <laughs> polyamory situation can't you have both you know very progressive <laughs> very progressive but it has been a long time since the early 80s uh well look i don't know it was it was tough Lockie seems to be in his head as far as he's concerned it's completely understandable that he would be in love with two women he's like i'm just really worried that australia won't understand how this happened how could this sort of thing happen alicia I, I don't I don't find it too radical. Not that I've experienced it myself of being in love with two people, but I don't see that as too much of a radical concept. I think when it comes to love and relationships in the real world, um, I guess that's not that's not my issue with the whole situation. Um, I think that, and I don't necessarily. I feel like maybe some portions of Australia would hear that you're in love with two women and take issue with that fundamentally and that that's another debate to have there. Can you be in love with two people at once? I probably think you can, particularly through an intense situation like The Bachelor. Um, whether you should vocalise <laughs> that to two people, as an avid fan of The Bachelor and having seen Having known what has happened through history, particularly in America, Ben Higgins, um, he said he loved his his final two and it was not well received. So I was mostly watching this thinking far out, like I appreciate the vulnerability and I appreciate that he's just going with it. But I did wonder if at any point through filming this last bit in the Hunter Valley where Lockie was like, oh, God, is this going to be the best thing for me to vocalise even if I am really feeling it? Is it going to be the best thing for me to vocalise from a Australia perspective? Not that your whole end goal should be getting Australia to accept your relationship, but it is a part of it, unfortunately. Like there's so much scrutiny and I'm feeling not not that we're there yet, but there's just everyone has their five cents to put in on your new relationship. But I also wonder, th- thinking about that girl that ends up with him at the end and their relationship moving forward, was it the most productive thing to articulate? <laughs> yeah, it would have been uh, 
and I think about, you know, think about my own relationship. What would it have been like if I had seen footage of the day before I had this beautiful romantic moment with Audrey where I went, that's it. I'm in love with you and I want to marry you. I saw footage of her saying the same thing to some other guy. It would be very, very hard for me. Very, very hard for me. Um, so I, 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 that, that, you know, that's all I, I can only like put it, put myself into that position. Yeah. I can't, under, I can't ever assume what it was like to be Irena or, you know, what it would feel like to be Bella, uh, being told that you'd think, I oh, know this is great. I'm in. This oh. is it. Yeah, so I guess this yeah. is the discussion that we have before we deconstruct, you know, where Irena and Lockie are now, um, how Bella would be feeling this morning, and this is the morning after the finale that we're recording yeah. this. Um, yeah. Before we get to that, I guess we have these final two dates and yeah. he does chuck it out to both of them that he's yeah. in love with both of them. No, and he's fallen fallen in love with you. <laughs> just put the romance romantic. into it. Put more romance into it. Uh, speaking of romance, just speaking of romance, this, watching this episode with Audrey was extraordinarily lovely because where Locke and Irina had their final date, that is exactly the place where Audrey and I got married. That is wow. Um, that is exactly the 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 property where we got married. Um, that big kind of hoonmobile that they drove around that belongs to the there's a husband and wife that own the place they're bloody legends and that's the dad that's his kind of like plaything that he built he built it himself i think over the other hill to the right if you ever heard the dreamtime story about tiddlick the frog it that is that story is from just about, about two k's to the to the north um so there was a few moments where audrey and i were going oh yeah. so when they were by the by the river on the blanket, um, that rock behind them, I was doing cannonball bomb dives off of that rock 45 minutes before I was standing at the end of the aisle waiting for Audrey. Uh, she was getting ready, but I'm like, I'm doing my I, my ritual cleansing before the, you know, it's yeah. cleansing before a marriage yeah, uh, is always as a thing in many cultures. And I was in the in there with like everyone that was on the groom's brigade. We were all having a swim in the river. And then we toweled off, put a suit on, and up we went. It was sick. And then um, there's heaps of wombats around there too, which is really rad. That road that he drove down, and uh, that is the ex- Audrey went, oh my god! Like that is a, a back road from the property right behind it, where Audrey got ready for the wedding, and she drove down that road in a, a very well decorated Land Cruiser uh, <laughs> on the way to meet me at the end of the on the way to meet me at the end of the aisle. And the, the where they got in that kind of hot tub, yes. All right. That exact spot within that grove of Melaleuca trees is where we had our, our archway, and that is that exact spot where they're in the hot tub is where I said I will. Wollumbai, it's a great spot. You should go and head over there. It's lovely. Anyway, it was great. It was it was it was bloody lovely, and um, the the moment in the hot tub was it, it was interesting because he was he was kind of you know I mean disappointed there was no chocolate always am when there's a bath mm. and there's no chocolate, uh, but it was an interesting moment of he was kind of I don't know was he putting it on. Like it was almost like a job interview. Like, what? What's the plan? What do well, you see? Well, it was a it was a job interview for both of them. So with Irina, I, I found it interesting. He was really like, I don't mind it. I think it's like if you're gonna ask, I'm all about open communication. If you're you need to ask some questions to determine what your next twelve months, three years, five years look like. Cool, great. 
Bella got the same interview in the pool. I guess what I guess what I'm still because it's to important con- to have these conversations in water. I don't know if you realize <laughs> that, but any life planning conversations need to be had. In water. Oh, me okay. and me and Glenn, we just get one of those like uh, blow up baby pools from Kmart, yeah. pop it in the backyard, fill it up with the hose, get in there, and then talk about like we've got the joint bank account now. What yeah. are we saving Let's talk for? About What's our goal? In the financial year twenty twenty two. Let's talk about like yeah, like franking credit deposit, but. Uh, can we get a house deposit by 2024? Okay, great. Out of the pool. We don't talk about finance and we don't talk about finance out of the pool. Got to be in the pool. My goodness. Yeah, so I thought I thought Irena's was lovely. Um, Bella's chat, I found. I guess what I'm missing here with the interviews is, and we will discover this down the track, and when we talk about Irena and Lockie, where are they now, what the next few months will hold for them, um, you got to give people time firstly. But I guess... What I didn't see, like I I thought Bella's answers were quite lovely and I guess I would have assumed, and this is all assumptions that you're making on The Bachelor, I'm assuming I know stuff about Lockie. I've never met Lockie before. Um, I thought that Bella's answers would fit quite well with Lockie's next 12 months. I've read in the media that he plans he'd like love to travel Australia for the next year. whether that is going to be able to logistically happen, we will probably start to find out in the next couple of months. Um, But I thought that when Bella was like, I don't really know, like I'm just going with the flow and as long as you're there beside me, I sort of thought that would be quite compatible with him. Um, So I guess I'm intrigued to see, like he's clearly – when he's gone through these conversations about what their next few months, years, blah, blah, look like, he's gone with the more tangible option, which I think a lot of people, a lot of people out there watching The Bachelor might assume because he's got this very like adventurous barley thing about him that he would be a little bit more just ambiguous about what he wants his next little bit in life to look like. Yeah. And I, I don't know if that's like going forward, if you're listening to this and you're wondering, is like, this is a good strategy, you know. I don't know if hoping someone's life plan aligns to yours is a great because things are, and I bear in mind I'm nearly 50 I've been in a few long-term relationships in my life all right and you know this is my second marriage so try to understand that I've seen a few things go by right so try to like deciding whether or not someone's life plan is aligned with yours I mean that can all be well and good but bear in mind and like I've said on this show before March 10 2020 you might have gone brilliant and then we'll go to Spain in August and then blah 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 March 16 you're like I guess we're not even going to Coles now all right, so less your life plans aligning, more your ability your ability to withstand uncertainty as a couple is probably the thing that's going to get you further. It's good to know you're on the same kind of general compass direction. You know, if one's heading, like say, if, like to use a travel metaphor, if you're if you're both going north, whether you take the Pacific Highway or the New England Highway, look, you're going to get there. But if if one goes. I don't know. We're going to Adelaide. You're like, but cans? Yeah, that's really, I love that because, you know, I think when you put that analogy on top of real life events, if someone in a couple doesn't want kids, 
and the other one really sees that in their future, well, one of you is going to Adelaide and one of you is yep. going north. And it's and it's much better to go and kiss it all goodbye and say, as fun as it was, we can't really do both things. So it's better that you and I find someone that is going in the same direction because otherwise it's just too, it's not going to work. So I guess this brings us to we, 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 we're at the finale now. We're in the dresses. Hang on, just quickly, quickly yes. rewind for that. Um, a lot, there's a lot of questions last night about why, you know, take a helicopter and take the doors off um, when you're making television. If you're shooting, if you've never been inside a helicopter before, the windows are very, very, very small. So if you're making television, shooting footage of someone inside a helicopter, all you're really going to get is like, it looks like they're in the back of a minivan. All right. You don't actually can't see out of it. So you don't know that they're in the air. So that's why you take the doors off. And plus, it's heaps more fun when you take the doors off. Oh, so cool. I have to say, Osher, it's probably like the one thing that I'm very frustrated about. Like I've been on three shows now and all I wanted was a helicopter ride. Never been in one ever in my life. And you know what? This is the big, this is the, the real tease about it all. The year that I was, my first year of Bachelor in Paradise, where me and Jules left the day before the commitment ceremony, I get back to Australia, chat to like Alex Nation, and she's like, oh, yeah, we got to we got to take helicopters into the commitment ceremony. The next year I've met Glenn, get my fairy tale, no helicopters in sight, budget cuts. <laughs> the worst thing about helicopters, the worst thing about a helicopter is like when you fly first on Emirates, you're like, oh, Oh, you mean I can just get in a thing and it takes me exactly where I want to go and I don't have to drive from the other end? When you have actually true point-to-point transportation, wow. it's, the, it's terrible because then you realise, oh, right, I could always be like this, and it's not. Anyway, it was lovely that she arrived and there was a people playing the Vivaldi and it was very Ooh. beautiful. It was a, it was a beautiful moment um, there. But the I've got to say, tip of the hat to the excellent uh, Bachelor season eight post-production team who did a very crafty job of editing because you're always looking for who's the first one out of who's the first one in the limo the shot of them driving towards uh who's the first girl or guy because they're the person that it's gonna you know but a few years ago um we started to kind of cut the edits in between cutting from one girl walking other girl walking other girl walking and then there's that final final moment and which is what we did we saw Irina get out of the car and we, we saw her walking, walking. Then we see Bella's car arriving. Oh. And then we see them both walking, cut, 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 cut. And then the music stops and Bella walks around the corner. Oh, man. Oh. And he just broke down. He broke down the moment he saw her. What was going on? Why do you think he broke down? Oh, I think that he's like, uh, after, I feel like this is one of those defining moments in a bachelor journey where it's almost like an out-of-body experience. I definitely felt it with my own commitment ceremony, and that was only after being in Fiji for a month. Um, these guys have been in this experience for four months. He's been developing these relationships with these two women, and he's in love with both of these women. And this is the moment right here where he has to tell one of them that it's not they're not proceeding. And... Oh, it was a really hard it was a really hard moment to watch and I think that Bella was very graceful. Uh I didn't love that I felt like Lockie put it back on Bella a little bit and I don't know if that was the moment for it. He was sort of like he started to bring up the life plan and I'm like far out this is hard enough just like just 
<laughs> just apologize and let her have her moment. And I thought she was super graceful. And the can I leave now? I think I think that line just captured like that that is you've been through four months of this. Yes, you just want to leave. And uh, yeah, I thought she handled it really well. And I guess I'm really, I'm really feeling for Bella having to watch those moments again because it really does bring that emotion right back to you. In, uh, I think we did learn something here today. Like during a breakup like that, it was essentially a breakup. And 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 my job is to do all the breaking up until this point. All right. So this is the first time he actually has yes. to break up with someone. I'm the one that pulls the trigger until yeah. this point. So this is the, this, the emotion is very, very high because it's the first time he's actually going to do this. And I think he was, uh, and we saw it leading up to this moment. We saw him in the orange jumper in the in the interview, just really feeling the true weight of the situation, and that he was. It seemed to me, and I, I I'm, you know, I, I've yet to speak to him about this, but I could only assume that this might be one of the, like he was experiencing legitimately the gravity of mm-hmm. his actions, um, possibly in a way he hadn't before. And to see a grown man, big bloke, sob like that, uh, you know that he was, he was absolutely 100% feeling it and truly, truly having a transformative moment, truly having a transformative. Something about how he had been as a person until that point was different after that point. And, um, I get why Bella wanted to know why. I think that's a totally valid question. I think it's really, really important to get to that point and go, but hang on, 16 hours ago, yep. you were telling me what, what, what changed? And that's a f- totally fair question. I think you're right, Alicia. Maybe that's not the moment to go, yeah, but you. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Take, take the hits. Can I ask a question here, Osha? Where were you? <laughs> I was there. You were there. <laughs> I was oh, absolutely okay. there, um, and I and I did all of the chats. I did all of the you know the proud dad stuff. I did the you know when the girls got out of the car. All right, Lockie's yep. waiting. I did all that. I did the chat with Lockie. I gave him the. I couldn't give him the pat on the back, but I'm like, come on, mate, this is it. I gave him all the pep talks yep. and all that kind of stuff. However, um, in the the way that it happened with his interview and the way yes. that. You know, he was so intensely emotional in that interview, which was, I, I can't remember when it was, I think it might have been the morning of, um, going to the ad break with him in this jeopardy yes. moment of, I don't know what to do, and then cutting straight to the girls was the right editorial decision. Otherwise, the the energy would have would have been gone. And it's it's not about me, all right? Don't worry. I, I still got paid for the day. It's fine. <laughs> you know, the show's not about me. It, uh, and that's fine. I found it interesting um, because, because I think that what you offered that I probably hadn't realized until I saw an ending of The Bachelor without you so involved, even though you like from a practical perspective in real life you were. I think for an audience member, you offer like catharsis. Uh, it's a bit of a cathartic right. moment when Osha between the girls and before like speaking to Bella it's cathartic and I think that I kind of think it was I I think it was a good editorial decision in the sense that I feel like Lockie had to take responsibility fully for this 
their intense emotions and he had to navigate it alone. <laughs> yeah. So it was it, really it was. interesting. But I was like, I was like, where is Osha? <laughs> I was I was in I was under the, the tent watching it on a video under like, a face oh. mask going, She just said, Can I go now? Like it was like in Australia, we've had a couple of really good exit lines. We've had, I can't believe I shaved my legs for this. That was a really good one. <laughs> Can I go now is pretty good. But I think America, they had, it was huge. I would never want my children to have a father like you. There was, that was yes. one of the, the, yes. the good bylines in that America. Was, um, yeah. That so we was haven't had anything Juan like Pablo, that. I'm pretty sure. And he, Which, yeah, yeah, one, he was oh, not great. Poor old Juan Pablo. Ooh. Poor old Juan Pablo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he had a tough run. At some point in the, no, we're talking about American Bachelor now, but at some point in the American Bachelor, at some point in their edit, they just went, we're just going to have to flip it and make the girls the hero. And, you know, about four or five episodes towards the end, it was, like, it was on its head and it was, it was wild. Uh, but let's get to the final moment. There it is. There's the romance. There's Irina. There is Lockie. Um, he has already declared his love, uh, but this time he's kind of underlining it putting it in italics and making it a bold font. <laughs> I mean it um, this time. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was it was really really lovely. Uh very tricky emotionally for Locke to go from one to the other uh in a, such a short space of time. It's always tough for the batchy to do that. Um what's, you know, then they go into lockdown. Like beyond oh, lockdown because yeah. we can't even sneakily get them together. What are those you know, you've spoken to people who have done this. What are those weeks like when you've got to keep it secret? Yeah, so me and Glenn did it for nine months just this year, which was really fun. Um, I think that, honestly, be, ha- having just experienced my own circumstances of having to hide a relationship after Bachelor in Paradise, I've been thinking about Irina and Lockie um, pretty regularly, to be honest. Um uh, or, just, or just like Lockie and his winner, I should say, because it's been well known that Lockie's been here in Perth. He's like hasn't been secretive about that. He's been like posting on Instagram doing some like, you know, he's been doing iFly or whatever that indoor skydiving thing is. So he's been in Perth uh-huh. and, you know, both of his final two are not located in Perth and I know how hard Mark McGowan's hard border is and, to know that I guess um, timeline-wise probably, again, two months since they filmed this, it's just been a really, really difficult situation to be building a relationship over the phone. I, I think that physical touch, it's like a love language of a lot of people, is really important. This yeah. is taking us into the post-show environment and I would just really encourage viewers of The Bachelor, fans ourselves, to just really give these people time across the board and just be empathetic to the fact that both Bella and Irina have gone through such an intense emotional experience. And so be, be kind, I guess. There's one thing to critique people's behaviour, to um, deconstruct the show in group chats, but don't take that energy onto somebody's Instagram and like let them let them have your two cents yeah. personally. Would you would you walk up to them in the street and say this to their face? Yeah, that's the thing. Because ultimately, they are standing in the street with their phone in their hand, going, "What?" And 
And it's not yes. harmless. Oh, exactly. You read every single message. If you're DMing somebody, they are reading it. I They might have a lot of messages, but you never know what's happening in that mo- moment. They might be just navigating to their request folder, picking a few messages, and your message might be the one that really sends them spiraling. So just be kind. I think this is particularly important for, I, I think that naturally, the per, the runner up does tend to garner a lot of support and empathy because and as as it should be like they've just bloody lost somebody that they loved um i would also say Irina and Lockie, like give them a little bit of time to establish their relationship to show you what it, like if you're that invested cuz naturally people are just give them a little bit of space, give them a little bit of time before you determine that you've decided that they're going to break up in three months' time. Like I'll be really open and honest with everybody who listens to this podcast. When I read messages, like I've been dating Glenn for 10 months and after we've just had the most beautiful commitment ceremony where amongst all of our friends, when I navigate to a forum or a chat or whatever against my better judgment and I read someone who says, oh, I give them a month at best, it gets to you. So just like if yeah, you're, right. you're you're not going to a dinner party with some of your friends who have been dating for five months and they seem really in love and they're telling you that they're really in love and you don't say to them, oh, you probably got about three months. So don't say that about somebody else. Let them enjoy this time. Could, Let them go. Yes. And apparently Irene is moving to Perth, so I got a new friend. <laughs> hey, that'll be great. Well, I, I certainly hope that – I don't know if we're going to go back at any point, but I was – you know, part of me really wants to say Bula Bella oh. under a uh, under <laughs> under a bure, but I don't know if we're going to do Paradise in Fiji at the moment, so I don't know what's going to happen. A condo in last. Noosa. We'll see <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we ne- you never know. We're, we hopefully we can find a way uh, to see Bella again. I'd love to see Izzy again. I'd love to see Beck again. Izzy's got a boyfriend. What? Yeah. Come on, Osha. Get with the time. We've got a few girls. I don't do such Instagram Instagram research. I've got my own wife and my own relationship that I would like to maintain. I am so excited. We've got The Bachelorette coming up on the 7th of October. Loved that promo where you're whispering. Very good, Kia. You've got to lean into it, man. You've got to always play the hits, Alicia. Always play the hits. Thanks, everyone, for helping us out making cocktails and roses. Thanks for your patience, understanding that we were a day late. But, you know, security, we weren't even allowed to have a screener of the show. So even I, who was there, wasn't allowed to have a screener of the show. Uh, So we had to make it a little late. We had to wait till everyone see the show. Thank you so much for being here. We'll be back with more cocktails and roses for Ellie and Becky on The Bachelorette. Um, Good luck. Stay safe. uh, Wash your hands. Wear a mask. And, um, you know, if you're not going to say it to their face, don't say it. How about that? Is that all right? Love that. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.